Darnell Williams at the tailback. They'll hand it off to Williams up the middle. 25. Cuts it inside. 30. 35. 40. There goes Cadillac. To the 50. To the 40. To the 30. To the 20. To the 15. 10. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Touchdown. Now they can play a little safer. But they're not going to. Nix is back. Throws it downfield. Caught. Touchdown, Williams. A 20-yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byron waits for the snap to the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Auburn Today podcast. As always, my name is Noble. You're here with my co-host, Wheeler. Today, we have a really fun podcast breaking down some Auburn basketball and kind of a kind of an interesting week went one and two in the past three games since our last podcast with a loss to Texas A&M at home, snapping the home win streak, which is just one of the most Auburn things ever. That right when you get the streak, it, you know, crumbles in the next game. Tight loss to West Virginia in the SEC Big 12 Challenge and then a convincing win against the Georgia Bulldogs for revenge after the loss in Siegmund Coliseum. But either, we'll jump into kind of the losses first. Obviously, the Texas A&M loss was kind of a loss where Auburn just wasn't super competitive, got punched in the mouth in the first half, and really didn't really – wasn't able to kind of bury into that hole until the second half. And it seemed like every time they got close, something else happened and the lead stayed at 10 where it just kind of felt like it stayed the whole time. But the West Virginia game was kind of a different – almost like a different feel on when you got the big stop, you actually scored on the other end until the very end. But just kind of give us your thoughts on those two games. You know, you mentioned last week how you almost expected, not not necessarily expected, but you would not, you would not have been surprised if we dropped two. We obviously did. So just kind of give us your thoughts on those games in particular and your team kind of going in to this week with obviously the matchup against Tennessee on Saturday. Yeah, I said that. If they lost both games, I would be not surprised at all, and it would not change my opinion of the team whatsoever. And I stand by that. I mean, I think the 10-point loss uh, to Texas A&M, you know, it was – there were a lot of really, really tough plays that happened or really tough calls that happened at critical points where Auburn was about to get back into it, and they just got stuck, you know. So I'm not as – the, the, it was a 10-point loss, but it, in my opinion of how we played, like it could have been a closer game than that. Not surprised we lost. Buzz Williams eats our lunch every single year, um, regardless of how bad they are and how good we are. So not surprised at that at all. Um, the West Virginia game, I was surprised at how slow we started the game. I was impressed that they were able to come back. Um, it was brutal to see somebody score 30-plus points on us. I mean, he just fathered us the yeah. entire game. But to be fair, I didn't think that the defense on him was bad. Like, you put a hand in the guy's face, and he does a fadeaway three from the logo, and he splashes at nothing but net. I mean, it's just one of those days for the guy. So, also, I mean, disappointing in the fact that it was a close loss that you could have pulled out, um, but not disappointing in the fact that, that you kind of expected that to happen. Um, things that I didn't see coming. I did not see a drubbing of Arkansas or of Georgia. Sorry. Um, that was quite surprising to me. Um, uh, but that's kind of, you know, 
we had said the whole time that Alan Flanagan, if he was able to put the team on his back, or you have that go-to guy that can put the team on his back, that that changes the entire complexion of the season. And we just didn't see that until last night. And so if that's the new Allen and he broke out of whatever mental, you know, thing he had going on going into that game, I think that the team looks much more intimidating. The game Saturday, neither team is an elite scoring team. They're both defensive teams. There's going to be just a mountain of foul calls. They're probably going to go against Auburn for the most part, being on the road. I see it being a really tough path to go into winning the game. And the only reason I see a potential win is that Bruce typically has his team ready to go against Tennessee. Um, but I would predict another close, you know, loss. Yeah. And so, you know, we mentioned, you, you know, you mentioned Eric Stevenson kind of just going off against us. And with that one, obviously, like he was just feeling it. But do you have a concern at all about kind of this was a, a common theme that a lot of people were talking about, that a common theme in the losses was just an opposing player just dropping us off. I mean, West Virginia, you know, Eric Stevenson had 31. Tyrese Radford for AM earlier that week had 30. Terry Roberts for Georgia had 26. Boogie Ellis for USC had 28. And Kendrick Davis for Memphis had 27. Do you think that that is a – uh, more of a individual players. Obviously, they're all guards. So, do, do you think it's more of a the guard defense isn't exactly where it needs to be, or do you think it's a scheme thing that these guys just once someone gets hot early, they just can't stop them? Like, what what do you think is a the problem with that, and do you think it's a concern moving forward, or do you think it's kind of like it's whatever in losses you just don't play that well? I think that it stems back to early in the season, and honestly, all throughout the season that our perimeter defense has a terrible habit of early in games trying to close out on threes and fouling the three-point shooter, and then the rest of the game not contesting the threes as well as they can. Uh, I mean, Stevenson had some contested threes, but he also had some oddly open looks at the end of the game when he had 20-something points on the game, and he still got wide open on drawn-up plays from out of bounds. Like, you know they're trying to get the guy the ball. I don't understand how you just don't guard him, you know? So it's partially the defense. It's partially the fact that I think they're afraid to close out on defense. And then I think partially it's luck. I mean, all of those guys just had some ridiculous shots fall. Mm -hmm. um, and there's some at some point there's nothing that you can necessarily do about that. Um, I think that Zepp Jasper um, not playing as many minutes this year has really hurt the defense because you see a pretty big drop-off in defense when – win is in the game um and same with a lot of your bench guys not the best at defense trey donaldson is good at defense and zepp is good at defense flan is good at defense but he's been matched up against bigger guys um so you got a lot of guys that just don't match up super well i feel like katie johnson his defense is like pretty aggressive where he tries to get a steal and if he misses the steal then he gets cooked and so that's i mean that's a tough that's his that's his style and when he gets a steal it's great but as far as just sitting back and not getting schooled by an opposing guard I mean sometimes people are going to drop him off because he's just not getting steals that day so I think that there's a little bit of everything that's contributing to obviously when you have that many games where somebody just goes crazy on you like there's something on your team it's not just luck or like thereof 
Yeah, and I really think when you when you look at KD Johnson in particular, he's a guy that really struggled all season. But I think that's something that maybe not as many people are talking about. I mean, against West Virginia, I think he had like – I want to say he had like 10 or 12 in the second half. I mean, he didn't really do anything in the first half. Had a really strong second half on both ends of the floor to really kind of, you know, be be the, the spark. I mean, that, that three that he hit in the second half was really the spark into it. Obviously, he had a really good game last night. I think he had around 13 uh, on a pretty efficient shooting night. So, how do you think that that will factor in? Do you think that KD – is really, you know, we've talked, you know, ad nauseum, I feel like, about who the most important guy, the most impactful guy on this team is. You know, some people say it's Wendell. Uh, I feel like I'm pretty outspoken. I think it's Allen. Jay Will's a guy that people mentioned. But do you think that KD playing well can really make or break this team? Or do you think that he's kind of a guy that it's almost like you can get his 13 points somewhere else? Or do you think that KD scoring is something that is essential for this Auburn team to play high-level basketball, especially when you've got teams like Tennessee and Alabama coming up? I think when he plays the number of minutes he played last night, yes, you have to count on him. Because if somebody's on the floor for 26 minutes, then you got to be productive. So even if you're not in the starting lineup, if your minutes are starting lineup minutes, because you look, everybody is in the 20-minute range who's a starter except for Zell, who played 13 minutes, which is the same as – you know, Chris Moore, Trey Donaldson, Dylan Cardwell, Leor Berman. And then you got Katie at 26 minutes, which is not even the least amount of the starters. Yeah, I mean, that's that's legitimate starter minutes. Yeah, that's that. that's legit starter minutes. And so, yeah, even though he's not a starter per se, his minutes are starter minutes. So you need to be as productive as a starter if you're going to be playing 26 minutes of basketball. Um, so, no, I mean – if he's not playing well, he can't be playing 26 minutes. Um, but I think that it's a strategy thing that he not be the starter, you know, so that you're not just – Bruce is big on having the sixth man. Like he would put somebody who is probably better than someone who's in the starting lineup in as a sixth man just so that there's more continuity between the two, like, units, yeah. units that he's running. And that's what he's doing with KD Johnson. But yeah, no, I mean he's he's got to be productive. If you anyone who is on the floor for 26 minutes needs to be somewhat productive. And he was last night. 4 7 from the field. That's over 50%, which is about where the team was. The team was at 56% from the field. He's 4 of 7. That's I mean, I'm not the best at math, yeah. but that's about close to it. And the team was 36% from 3. He was 1 of 3, which is on par with the starters. So, yes, when he plays on par with the starters, now those are really good numbers. If Auburn shot 56% from the field and 36% from three every really game this year, team. they're a really good basketball team. But the problem is you go back and you look at what the stat line was in our other games, and you're looking at numbers that are closer to like 49% from the field, which doesn't sound like a huge difference. But, I mean, 7% from the field, I mean – that was a lot of missed layups. You saw a lot of close misses, especially early against West Virginia. I The first half was not near 50% from the field. Mm-hmm. It was very much going to be a low percentage in the first half, and then it bounces back in the second half. And again, I think 31%, which is what they shot from three against West Virginia, that's enough to win a game. Like, But it's been lower than that at some points in the season, and it's really, really difficult to win a game when you're shooting 31%. Okay, So then you look at Texas A&M. Horrible loss 
Well, you shot 42% from the field. So that's 14% less than what you shot against Georgia. No wonder you're going to lose the game. 14% from the field and 18% from three. You're you're going to be hard-pressed to find a game where you shoot under 20% from three-point land and have a competitive shot. So, no. Uh, it's like we said. You got to have production if you're in the game, and it needs to be about where it was against Georgia, in my opinion. If you're going to be competitive with the likes of Alabama, because you can't score 63 and beat Alabama, they're going to score more than 63 points against just about anybody that they play. Um, I mean, they had their worst shooting night against uh, Mississippi Oklahoma. State. And Oklahoma, yeah. Yeah, so they're on a little bit of a cold streak, but against Mississippi State, I mean, they shot 17%, but they only won by three. And then I don't even know what they shot against Oklahoma. Probably equally as bad. Because they were just – well, they shot 27% from three and still lost. And see, the thing with Al- a team like Alabama is they have that kind of game, and then they just turn it around and beat Vanderbilt by, like, 60. I mean, they just oh, – I They mean, eviscerated them. I mean, yeah, cool. that was one of the most just unfair games that I've ever watched. Vandy shot 25% from the field. That is just putrid. For the entire game. <laughs> How do you shoot 25% for the entire game? And then Alabama shot 50% from three-point land. Which, to be fair, is just is not un- normal. I mean, that, that's just I mean, that's just unfair. But I do think that when you start looking at the matchups with, you know, Vanderbilt's a good basketball team. And I think that that's something that people aren't really talking about. Like Vander, I think Vanderbilt lost by about 10, 10 to 12 when they played uh when they played Alabama and Nashville. So that's quite the swing. And you you've got Alabama's going to be coming to Auburn. We're going to be going to Coleman. Like, that's a game you really do need to steal. And, you know, we talked about that a little bit. I really think that the – when you look at Auburn's schedule with Tennessee on the road, then you've got a bit of an easier road. You've got Alabama at home. And then you've got, like – I mean, you've got, like, the Missouris at home. You've got Vanderbilt. You've got Ole Miss again. Like, those kind of games are the must-wins. I think that those are the kind of games that you don't even think about almost when you're talking about Auburn as a tournament-type team. But I think that – Arkansas keeps losing. You can't really lean on that like you felt like you were going to. I think that this team really needs something to reinvigorate them because now they've had the they've had the experience where they played somewhat decent teams and get destroyed. They played somewhat decent teams and lost close, but they need to play some good teams and win. And I think that that's really I mean George is a decent team and they beat the brakes off of them, but you can't really can't really think of Georgia as like, oh, that's our marquee win. Like, you know, we beat Georgia at home. Like, that's great. But if you can say, oh, we beat a top two team on the road, then all of a sudden you feel like you can beat anybody and there's no one on the floor where you're like, we just can't compete with these guys because we've never gotten close to competing with a team like this. So I really think that either Tennessee – Tennessee on the road would be a – I think that could be the biggest win of the season. Uh, even if we were to beat Alabama at home or on the road. I think that beating Tennessee on the road would be the biggest win of the season. But I don't think – I personally don't see it happening. But if you can beat either Tennessee or Alabama at home or Kentucky and Rupp, I think that those are the three games in the rest of February that are the most important games for this Auburn team from a confidence perspective. And even though Kentucky's playing a lot better than they were at the beginning of the season, if you beat Kentucky and Rupp, these guys all grew up knowing that Kentucky is the greatest program ever. A lot of these guys, they don't, you know, even though they picked Auburn, they don't equate Auburn with 
Kentucky. You know, they are completely different programs. But when you see that Auburn can win in Rupp and you're on a team that just beat Kentucky on the road, your confidence is high no matter what. So I really think that those are the kind of the, the three games that really mean the most for this team moving forward. And I think if they play what they did against Georgia, they have – more than a fighting chance against the three of them. I mean, if you shoot like you did against Georgia, play defense like you did, I mean, really, that Georgia game wasn't even as close as the score indicated. I mean, it was a 20-point win, but that dude off the bench just caught fire at the end. I mean, he was just draining three after three after three. I mean, Terry Roberts and Cario Oquindo couldn't do anything all night. So the game plan against Georgia was phenomenal, and I think that if these guys play like they did against Georgia, against Tennessee or against Alabama or against Kentucky – I mean, those teams are going to have to have extremely great performances to even come close to that. And Alabama is the only team this season that has shown that they can have a performance that could beat what Auburn just did against Georgia. So I really am looking forward to the rest of the schedule of really those three games more so than anything as must wins. You got to get at least one of them. And I think against Tennessee, the defense is going to be important. Just looking at points per game. Auburn, 73.4 points per game. Tennessee, 73.5. So the offenses, it's like we said, the offenses are the exact same. Super streaky. They just had a really cold night against Florida the other night. Now, does that translate? I don't think so. I think when you go on the road versus home at this point in the season, you can't say, oh, they had a cold shooting night. They're automatically going to have another one because you saw Bama had a cold shooting night against Oklahoma and then goes and drops 100. The greatest shooting night ever, yeah. Yeah. At home. Um, but points against, Auburn's surrendering 64 points per game. Tennessee is surrendering 55. That's a nine-point swing. That's about – I mean, I don't know what the odds are. I don't know what the official Vegas line is on the game, but I would assume that's probably somewhere in the five to seven range. So they're basically, they're basically saying, yeah, we're going to say that Auburn's going to give up nine more points, and then give Tennessee the two-point home court advantage. With the offenses playing the exact With the same. offenses playing yeah. the exact same, all things equal. Um, So, yeah, Auburn's going to – needs a little bit better than normal offense. Not a great offensive performance, but the defense cannot be bad. The def- You cannot give up those wide-open threes and let Viscovi get going. You cannot let the slasher in, Ziegler, get going. I mean – if, if you shut those two down, I mean, the scoring potential from Tennessee goes way, way down after yeah, I mean, those two. Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at Tennessee, you really feel the exact same way. Like, And this has been true for previous years. They play the exact same way as Auburn. And when you look at Auburn, you're like, I mean, I mean, if I'm, if I'm an opponent, you know, looking at Auburn, you're like, well, if you can stop, you know, Jalen Williams and Wendell <clears> Green – you're going to win. You know, Janai Broom's not going to carry him to a win. Alan Flanagan's not going to carry him to a win. If, you know, two of the guys – if two of the guys are cold, you're not going to win. And I think the only time that we can really have convincing wins without our stars all scoring a lot is they just don't shoot a lot. But if one of our guys has a bad night, we're fighting for a close win or we're getting blown out. Yeah. I mean, it's like I said, Ziegler had, you know, 16 of their shots the other night, and Viscovi had 12. I mean, that's 28 possessions by two guys. Um, and that was in their win over Texas. So, yeah, that's that's going to be a big a big focus. They also – I don't know how to pronounce his name. Who is their forward that plays all the time? 
Uh, Plovsich, that guy? No, it starts with an N. No, I don't even know. Anyway, he's another factor, but you got Allen on him. Yeah. Or you have Jay Will on him. And so I feel good about those guys getting stopped. It's really Ziegler getting stopped. And the, the way we've played and the kind of players that we've given up a lot of points to are Viscovi guys. Mm-hmm. The guys that are the post up around the three-pointer. You try and get the steal, you miss. It's a wide open, set their feet, it and then it. hits it. So the, that that's what I'm afraid of. I'm not as afraid of just getting bullied in the paint. I think Janai is going to be able to handle himself. I mean, Janai hasn't gotten – for as good as Walker was and as high as Walker could play, he also could get manhandled. Yeah. Like, it was a rare occasion, but you haven't seen that from Janai. There hasn't been a game where you were just like, oh, my gosh, Janai is just getting destroyed. destroyed. right now. But there also hasn't been a game where you're like, no one can get in the paint. Nobody Janai, can score against this guy. Which yeah. is what Walker had, too. Walker was higher peaks and valleys, but Janai is not going to give up the ugly game where he just gets mauled. So that's that's comforting for the Tennessee game. Um, ESPN's analytics have Tennessee as a 90% predicted favorite, which I think that's a bit high. I don't know. This team's not played well in the road. I just feel like with how the with how the Auburn Tennessee series has been, I think it's a little high, um, especially considering what happened last year when Auburn went to Knoxville. Uh, you know, you mentioned Ziegler and Vescovi. You know, those those two guys really kind of were were the the driving factors. The two of them and Kennedy Chandler last season really just gave us all we could do with the, with their guards. And I think that's what worries me the most about this is. When you look at the matchup, you know, I, I hate to just compare Alabama and Tennessee so much because they play so different styles of basketball, but they're by far the two best teams that we have left on this roster. When you look at Alabama, Brandon Miller's their main guy, and, you know, we're going to have probably Jalen Williams or Allen Flanagan on them. And you feel good defensively with those guys, and we really haven't had any forwards really destroy us this season. All the guys that have dropped us off are guards. And Tennessee plays, I mean, with, with with Vescovi and Ziegler, like those are their, you know, the guys that they trust the most with the basketball. And I think that's something that potentially worries me with what you were saying, like those guys will make you pay. You know, Vescovi has been in college basketball for so long that he he's just the kind of player you don't expect him to go for 30, but if you leave him open, he's going to hit the shots. He's going to make the smart plays. You can't just make him make a ton of mistakes because he's inexperienced. I mean, that's, that's I think, what worries me the most is it seems like the guys that kind of seem to drop us off are the veteran guys that just don't make a lot of mistakes, and they just exploit every mistake we make. So I'm hoping that the the team will be able to play a clean style of basketball and, you know, be able to pull an upset up there in Knoxville. Yeah, that would be uh... – Signature win for the team. I think it helps that it's a one o'clock game and not a night game. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that Tennessee had Texas there last weekend, I I think the crowd will still be excited because of the Bruce Pearl factor, but I definitely think it helps that it was game day last week. You're coming off of a loss. It's an earlier game. I think it'll be a little bit more sleepy than it potentially could have been had they not had those factors going for them. Yeah, I completely agree. And, uh, you know, I feel like that can kind of, wrap up the you know purely just basketball this team discussion um just a little bit of you know additional news yesterday was a really big recruiting day for auburn landing five-star point guard commitment to hod pettiford that was a really big 
add, you know, for a guy who's going to come in, you know, he's a junior right now. You have, obviously, we've talked Aiden Holloway coming in next year. To have a guy who's just going to be a really highly rated recruit coming in, you know, right after, that's really big. With football recruiting, yeah, Jeremiah Cobb signed. There was a lot of, you know, people that seemed to be very concerned during the early signing period about Jeremiah Cobb not, you know, he wasn't signing in February – or wasn't signing it during the early signing period, waiting till February – that was something that concerned some people. He signed in. He'll be a good, you know, a good player to add to the running back room. Uh, probably won't make a massive difference. And we'll talk about this a little bit more during spring practice. But, you know, you don't really expect a guy like Cobb to make a massive difference in year one. But, you know, you added a couple more guys on the football front. You have Jaden Lewis, Malik Autry. You know, that, 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 those are good. Those are good pickups. And it's really nice to have those kind of guys that you land so early in the cycle because those kind of guys can become the cornerstones of your class. You know, Braden Joyner was a guy who committed, if I'm not mistaken, he committed the day after the early signing period last year. And he was really a guy that recruited the whole season. He was recruiting every camp he went to, all those things. It's great to have, you know, like just the, the avalanche of guys coming in during the week of the early signing period. But there's not uh, not enough can be said about having guys early in the class at every camp they're going. I mean, these guys, they all camp at the same places, you know, like they go to Auburn, they go to Alabama, they go to LSU. They're already committed to Auburn. They're still going to be talking to all their friends. They're going to be talking to all the big guys like, hey, come to Auburn with me. That I don't think that can be said enough about the impact of getting guys early. But, Wheeler, just kind of give us your, your quick thoughts on kind of how the football recruiting turned out yesterday after a really star-studded junior day last weekend. Well, I I just like this. So you have Jaden Lewis offers from not Central Michigan, not Eastern Carolina, not won a battle versus UCF, not was a former Boise State commit. You you win him from Tennessee, Penn State, and Dion at Colorado, Malik Autry holds offers from Georgia, Michigan, and Kentucky. These are teams people have heard of. Like, these are teams where good football players want to go to, and they're choosing Auburn again. It was so embarrassing when you have a quarterback who is considering decommitting from Florida International to come and play for you. Are you kidding me? That's so pitiful. I can't even believe how low Auburn recruiting was, that recruiting insiders were writing stories Potential flip from FIU. What? Potential flip? This guy ought to be doing five backflips down South Donahue to get down to the Auburn football complex from Florida International. No. Awesome that we're finally competing with the big boys again. And like you said, having guys come in early is big for the class. And you don't have to do the mad dash towards signing day. I think people forget the fact that normal coaches have better recruiting in their second year and that they don't have their best recruiting class when they didn't have enough time for people to realize that they were a chotch. Like, you know, that everybody was like, oh, look at what Brian Harson did in this short time. And then it was worse because people actually got to know him in the other class. And everybody was like, I do not like this guy. I don't want to play for him. The, at least you was able to rile people up, get them here, and now he's got even better players, arguably, than what he got in the short term. That are coming to, you know, come to visits and do stuff like that now. Yeah, yeah. you have a lot of people coming to Junior Day. People want to attend Junior Day. It's not like last year where somebody wrote a story about how the 
football team had to give like 60 or 80 tickets back to the basketball team because they had them for recruits, but the recruits didn't show up to junior day. Are you kidding me? That's pitiful. This time we had like 200 players and then their families. I mean, can you imagine? That's 500 people probably. Yeah. I mean, that that's a lot of people. That's, I mean, that makes it feel elite. When you have 500 people walking around looking at it, you're like, okay, people want to go here. When there's 10 of you and guy over there committed to Florida International, guy over here might be a preferred walk-on, you know, he plays at, I don't even know, some – he plays for Trent Dilfer. I don't know. <laughs> you know, like, it just – it is it is significantly better that the energy is finally like we're an SEC football program and not like we're competing with Conference USA. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I, I really couldn't couldn't say that any better. Uh, we talked, you know, when Hugh Freeze was hired about from a solely a football perspective that we definitely felt confident that the program was in good hands and it was going to be on an upward trajectory. And I really think that you're seeing that built the right way. Um, and, you know, you still ca- have the cautious optimism of you want to see everything on the field. You want to see how that works out. And, you know, it really seems like Robbie is the guy, you know, either Robbie or, you know, maybe TJ outside chance, maybe Holden. But it looks like it's going to be one of the guys developed. And so I think Q Freeze is his pedigree is almost put the put to the test even more, not even just in all the other positions that a head coach has to recruit. But the quarterback has looked on even more than any other position because that's really Hugh's position. You know, like that's what he's known for. So I definitely think that it, it's kind of like, you can see everything he's done, everything he said, and you're like, that's great. You're doing a great job. Everything's looking great. But now you got to win games. You know, and I think it's just, it just keeps going back to that. You got to win football games. And that's just all you can really say at this point, I feel like. Yeah. But I mean, you can't win football games till the season starts. Obviously. So, yeah. yeah. So you're not, you're not going to slight the guy because he's like, oh, well, he hadn't won 10 games yet. It was like, well, he hadn't coached a game at Auburn yeah. yet. So, yeah, so I, I don't want to – We hadn't even started spring practice yet. Yeah, yeah. like I don't, I don't want people to think that, like, I'm just hating on the guy because, obviously, he is doing a phenomenal job. But the bad thing, the thing that I hate about this time of the season is when you get recruits, you have junior days and stuff like that, and you're just like, I'm so excited for football. And then you're like, I got to wait till August. To even get a taste of, you know, fall camp and you're just like this. Or is... even spring ball. Yeah, I mean, spring ball Spring ball is the worst thing ever for a fan because it makes you excited for football and you're still just so far away. But... I think it's exciting this year, though, because you can hear. I think if by the end of spring ball they're not feeling good about Robbie, Robbie's not going to be the guy. Yeah, I, like, I feel that, yeah. The, if he can't improve through the winter with the new uh, rules where the coaches can be with the guys during the winter, and then three weeks of intensive practice in spring ball. If he can't improve to a point where they really feel comfortable about him being the starter, he could improve through fall camp. But, uh, I mean, it's going to be really, really difficult. Yeah, I mean, if you can't improve a lot in the three weeks that you had in the spring, what makes you think that in four weeks in the fall you're going to all of a sudden become a big-time player if you couldn't see a massive difference in the three weeks in the spring? Yeah, so I think that spring is going to tell us a lot about our season, more so than normal just because you're going to know that, hey, unless we get a transfer quarterback, this guy's going to be the guy. Um, and, again, if I hear it, if I hear that T.J. Finley looks really good in spring practice and that he's going to be the guy, man, it's not going to be a good investment to buy season tickets. She'll be able to get them a whole lot cheaper on StubHub when we're two and five. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't. 
I don't entirely disagree. I really hope that if TJ is named the starter, that there have been some some big changes in how he plays. But I, I, I do think that the the vibe around the fans will just not be in a good place if TJ is named the starter until he proves something on the field. And I think he's going to have to prove a lot on the field if he is named the starter to let all the fans forget about all the struggles that he has had in the past. But anyways, you know, coming up in a week, you know, a little bit over a week, you have the Super Bowl. You know, the Eagles the Eagles versus the Chiefs. Wheeler, I've got a little bit of trivia for you. So there are three former Tigers that will be playing in this game. And there is one former – I don't want to say former Tiger. There is someone who committed to play for a coach. And when a different coach was hired, he decided he wasn't playing for Auburn anymore. And so that player is also playing in this Super Bowl. So name the 3.1 former Tigers, if you will, that will be playing in this game. Okay, Sith Boss is on the injured reserve, so he will not be playing. But, but he, he will he, receive yes. a ring if the Eagles win. Correct, that is one. Um, Prince Tega will be on the Chiefs. Correct. And I guess there's someone else on the Eagles. Because I think I would have known about the Chiefs Auburn player. Give me a hint at what position they play. Offensive tackle. Offensive tackle. The starting offensive tackle? No. Well, so he has started multiple games. Um, the Eagles have had, I mean, the Eagles have different things on their offensive line. He started more last year than he did this year. I have no idea. Another hint. He played with Prince at Auburn on the other side. That that doesn't help. Wheeler is not like me, and he has more of a life and does not know all the offensive linemen of Auburn through the years. But Jack Driscoll. Oh, I met Jack's parents when I was a Camp War Eagle counselor. Great family. Really loved them. I asked if their other son was coming to play football, and they said no. He's not good enough. But, hey, nice He did guy. make it on the team, though. Flynn Driscoll was on the team. But I don't know if he's on the team anymore. Well, I think that – you know, when you're you got one son that goes to the NFL, when yes. you ask if they're going to play, they take it as a literal sense of whether or not they will see the football field yes. Yes. not be on the roster. But there's still one more part to the question that that point one player that you know never played, never played a snap for Auburn was a guy who I mentioned he was my favorite player of that signing class. And then he left after this coach was hired. I'll give you a hint on the coach. Harson. Yes. We probably should have listened to this player because he saw it coming a mile away that he was not going to play for Harson. And he was not on the team. How is he in the NFL already? Because he transferred to a different school. So he was on Auburn's roster. Yeah. So he was, he was committed to Auburn for a couple months and was going to sign with Auburn. When Malzahn was fired, he waited it out to see who was hired stayed committed, and then decommitted and went somewhere else after he met Brian Harson. Who is it? Grant Calcaterra, the tight end from Oklahoma who retired from football, then transferred to Auburn. We were excited about him. He doesn't like Harson, so he leaves and goes to SMU, where he is eventually drafted by the Eagles and is their second-string tight end behind Dallas Goddard, and he will be playing in the Super Bowl. And every time I've watched the Eagles play this season, I've seen Calcaterra on the field and been like, man, he almost 
kind of thought about coming to Auburn. And he was the one that we should have listened to. He knew the world was going to end. Exactly. wonder if he has any other predictions. If he has any other big-time predictions, I think we should listen to him. <laughs> wonder if he has any stocks I should invest in. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, but yeah, so that was – a little bit of fun trivia, and you know, before we before we sign off, why don't you let everyone know who you're pulling for in the big game and who you think's going to win? Going for the Chiefs, think the Eagles are going to win. The Kelsey brothers remind me of me and you, podcasters, elite athletes, really big, really strong. I agree. At I least agree. one of those things was true. I agree, and so what I will say, I don't disagree with you. I think. I, I want the Chiefs to win. Uh, I like the Eagles as a franchise. There are a couple Auburn guys there, but I really don't like Jalen Hurts or Devontae Smith, so I'm hoping that they do not win a ring. However, my I think that the Eagles are going to win, but I don't want to bet against Patrick Mahomes because I think that he has proven – I think that if you're looking at just a quarterback battle, I like Patrick Mahomes over Jalen Hurts. So I'll give – for the sake of being different than your prediction, I'm going to say I've got the Chiefs to win their second Super Bowl since Patrick Mahomes was the starter. Over under the number of times Ed Kelsey is shown. I would say at least I would say at least 8, at least. And you know they're going to have the real do you think they're going to have the, you know, the the jerseys where it's like the two? You know like sometimes it's like the, the family just splits, some of them wear the Eagles, some of them wear the Chiefs, but sometimes they get the custom made ones where it's like a half Eagles jersey, a half Chiefs jersey and they're like I'm just a fan of Kelsey, you know, and everyone makes the jokes that they think, oh, well, Kelsey's going to win. I want them to just go straight savage and wear Eagles jerseys because Jason's older and is going to have to retire <laughs> before Travis, and Travis will be back in the Super Bowl. That would be fair. That'd be fun. That would just be funny. That would be funny. If they were just like, we flipped the coin, Jason won, so we're wearing Jason's stuff and we're going for the Eagles. That'd and then you just see him <laughs> boo every time <laughs> Travis gets a catch. He scores a game-winning touchdown, and they throw their popcorn on the field. That that would be that would be funny. That'd be a good time. But we'll find out next week who wins the big game. We'll be able to talk a little bit about how the Auburn guys performed. Maybe something will happen, and one of the guys will be thrown into the action and make you know having to make big plays. But We'll see. We'll be back next week talking about uh, the Auburn versus Tennessee game and the Auburn versus A&M game. I'll be later that week. Uh, as always, thank you guys so much for listening and War Eagle. War Eagle.